The scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we're moving through the Gospel of Matthew this fall, looking at the ways that Jesus breaks into people's lives, like you saw with Alex's amazing story a moment ago. And this month in particular, we are moving through the Sermon on the Mount and going through it actually in reverse, looking at it from a slightly different angle, not because we're smarter than Jesus, but because we want to take a look at it in a fresh way. So let's ask, what is Jesus doing here in this passage. Well, to speak these words, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has gone up onto a mountain, and Luke's gospel actually tells us this is happening after a night of prayer where Jesus chose his 12 disciples. When was the last time something like this happened? Does this sound familiar? It should. See, back in the book of Exodus, after calling the 12 tribes out of Egypt, God calls Moses up on a mountain and gives him his law, his word to give to the people. You see, now the same thing is happening all over again, only with a greater Moses. And let's ask, why did God, though, give them the law then and give us this sermon now? Well, most people think it's because God was showing them and us how to be saved, how to gain his approval and his love by obeying him and doing what he said. But if you actually go back and read the Exodus story, if, or if you've seen the movie or one of the various incarnations, you know that's impossible. God had already set his favor on the Jews, he had already saved them from their slavery before he ever gave them the law. He didn't give them the law, then say, obey it, and then I'll rescue you if you do a good job at it. No. He chose them, he loved them, he saved them, and then he gave them the law. So why give him the law at all, though, if he already loved them? Well, here's why. Because as the book of Exodus goes on to show us, God was making them into a people, into a whole new kind of people, into a community, into a whole new kind of humanity. And God does this for two reasons. First, because community, you know this, true, authentic community is more important to our well-being 
than almost anything else in life. That's, I mean, why do wars begin? Why do, why do families fall apart? It's because people don't rightly relate to God first, then to each other second. Second of all, God desires that we build authentic community because authentic community, while it's not easy to find always, it's far easier to find than it is to maintain. It's easier to fall in love, isn't it, than to stay in love. It's easier, many times, to have children, than as Dave and Stacy told you, than to raise them, right? And it's easier to come to a church and kind of fall in love than it is to stay and maintain what God's doing here. And if you're a leader in some capacity today, uh, in business, education, just a parent in the home, you know that much, if not most, of your leadership is just spent trying to keep people together. Trying to keep people from blowing things apart. Trying to keep people from getting offended or helping people get over their offenses, not hurting one another. You stand as a personal force trying to hold things together. Communities easier to find it's harder to maintain so how can we do that hmm? let's ask that it's not just through the sermon on the mount but it's through this passage today because here we have the apex of jesus's own teaching on relationships and community on how to do it and how to bring others into it how can we do those things put it like this for us to be the kind of church who has authentic community at its core Let's see what Jesus means and meant by these three great metaphors he gives us in the passage, which thankfully for the communicator all begin with the letter P. All right. First, there's the plank in the eye, pig in the sty, and the pearl of great price. Let's begin, number one, looking at the plank. Um, uh, When we read the passage, there were some familiar words there. Jesus began by saying, do not judge or you too will be judged, or of course, as the King James famously put it, judge not. What? Lest you be judged. What a great word, lest. We don't use that too much anymore. But uh, we can't go further until we deal with this one line right here because for many non-Christians, and maybe for some of you today, Christians, this is your favorite verse. And if that's you, you may end up rethinking that by the time we get done today. Forewarned is forearmed. Let's ask, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, this cannot mean nor does it mean that you cannot ever evaluate anything. Otherwise, you would be sinning every time, you know, you you opened up your phone and voted for an American Idol contestant, right? Because you'd be judging them, nor does it mean that you can't ever choose something, choose one restaurant over another, right? Is Jesus forbidding you choose barbecue over Tex-Mex? Like, no, honey, you can't do that. You're judging too harshly, No. See, some sort of judgment is necessary to pick out your internet company, to pick what you wore or didn't wear, thankfully for some of you, to church. Now, some of you are saying, I get it. What he's talking about here isn't just the same as plain old everyday decision making, and you're right. But now you may be saying, well, what he really means is, thou shalt not do any form of of negative moral evaluation, right? Don't ever say what's right and wrong. Is that what Jesus is saying? And if you think that, if you think Jesus is forbidding any kind of moral evaluation, you're not quite getting it. Here's why. If you're a person who loves to quote these words, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. If you're a person who loves to say, judge not to others, 
do you realize what you've just done when you spoke those words? You've just judged someone else's behavior, right? And you've used the words as a judgment against them. You've moralized against someone's morality. You've intellectually hung yourself. Because you can't say, thou shalt not judge anything without judging someone in some way. And you can actually know that Jesus is not forbidding negative moral evaluation. Otherwise, he'd be guilty of it too. Because here in the same passage, he says, judge not. And later on calls people dogs and pigs. It's actually kind of funny, right? Judge not, you dog. (laughs) Far beyond that, though, the whole Bible, especially the Psalms, is full of language that goes something like this. It says, God is coming to judge the world, to judge it in righteousness. See, God, uh, excuse me, there you have what Jesus is getting at. See, let's ask, when God judges, though, when he judges, he's going to do it. How, though, is it done? How does he judge? Oh, it's done not only with absolute knowledge, but with a rightly motivated heart. God does not judge in a condemning way, but in a restorative way. He judges to put things right, not for his sake, but for ours. I mean, God doesn't need the world to be right for him just to make it today, right? I mean, he's not just barely scraping by because times are tough. No. He can make it just fine without us. We're the ones who need to be put right, who need to love more authentically, to be formed into people who can love better, do community better, and actually, therefore, judge things better to see clearly with a right heart and a clear mind. And to do that, to have clear vision and a right heart, what do we need? We need stuff pulled out of us, don't we? Stuff pulled out of us. And that's what he gets to next, to actually another bit of comedy. He goes on to say, so why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. What's he getting at here? Well, first of all, when you've got something in your eye, what happens to you? And I don't know about you, but I've actually gotten something a number of years ago, something lodged in my eye. It was unbelievably painful. Never happened to anybody here. Yeah, Uh, you know, it was unbelievably unpleasant. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't uh, think. I couldn't see well. All I could think about was the pain because every time I blinked, you know this, The pain just washes over me again. But here Jesus is describing a person who doesn't just have a speck, literally a twig in Greek, in the eye. He isn't just saying, you got a little something there. No, he's actually trying to be a bit funny. He's saying, you're worried about that twig in the other person's eye when you've got a two by four coming out of your eye at them across the table. It's like me leaning over to my wife at dinner and saying, honey, you, you got a little something on the corner of your mouth there, a little, a little bite of fish. When I've got a live salmon attached to my face, right? It's like something out of, out of a sitcom. It'd be unbelievably hilarious and sad, and that's Jesus' point. See, the only way you could ever talk about the bite, the, the, the crumb on someone's corner of their mouth while you had a live fish on your face is if you were absolutely desensitized as to what was happening in your own life 
and completely blind to what's going on in your own soul. When you've been hurt by someone, and I've been hurt by someone, maybe your own father, maybe a woman, maybe a church, it's easy to look at all men, right? All women, all churches with suspicion or become cynical. But of course, you don't call it that. You call it being careful, but others say, uh-uh, you've got some unforgiveness there. You've got some bitterness. It's ruining your relationships. It's getting in the way of God doing something in your life. But you say, well, I don't see it like that. Maybe you've been wronged or hurt by a people group, right? And if you do, sometimes you can tend to assume they're all alike. You don't take individuals as they come like you would want other people to take you. Others feel judged by you, but you say, ah, I don't see it like that. Maybe you drink too much, and if that's you, please get help. Please, I'm imploring you today. Get help. Maybe you watch too much TV. Maybe you're on your phone too much while your kids' lives are passing you by, but you say, ah, I don't see it like that. Well, of course you don't see it like that. Jesus is saying, you can't see it like that. If you can hardly see with a speck of sawdust in your own eye, how can you see with a two by four coming out? Jesus is saying, in a way, in a way, we're all like children when it comes to relationships. Because what do children do? Here's what mine do sometimes. They run up to you crying, my boys do, and they'll say, daddy, he hurt me. It's all his fault. He hurt me. I'm like, really, son? Tell me what happened. This is terrible. My brother hit me. Oh, God, that's terrible. Other son, why did you hit him? Why did you hurt him? I say, Daddy, I hit him because he was sitting on top of me, poking me with a hot needle, and he wouldn't stop. That's why I hit him. I say, God, that's terrible. Why did you sit on top of your brother with a needle and poke him? I say, because... He took my favorite toy and threw it into traffic. See, they're mad at each other, but all they're doing is running around trying to relate to one another with these 10-foot poles coming out of their eyes. Can't happen. And Jesus is saying good relationships, real relationships, aren't even possible unless you do one thing, unless you slow down and allow someone to do for you what you've been unable to do on your own, you must allow someone, like a doctor, get near your eye. Someone else to get close enough to you to help you pull that thing out of your own eye. We need to allow someone else to get close enough to us to tell us the truth. Let me tell you why this is so hard for us. Because you don't just live in America, right, where no one likes to be told they're wrong about anything right? Stop hating. Stop judging. No, I'm not hating. It's just, you know, your breath was bad. You know. <laughs> we live also in the internet age, don't we? We don't just critique. We flamethrow. We curse. We troll. We harass. We stalk behind a computer or phone somewhere and never have to face those. We damage. We either speak the truth harshly with no love or we kind of love uncritically without truth. But we don't do what Jesus is saying must be done to have authentic community to be his people. We must allow someone else in love to get close enough to us to help pull the two by four out. See, to scrape the fish off the face. 
Now, that's number one. And before we move on, let me just suggest a few kinds of people here. Apply this in a few ways. People who are especially at risk of spiritual blindness. So hang on. If you are just on the outside of, if you're just on the fringes of, you're just content to be on the fringe, the outskirts of a spiritual community, once in a while... On a Sunday, when your kids' sports leagues don't get in the way, or your vacations don't get in the way, or your own disinterest doesn't get in the way, and you're not willing to deeply engage in the lives of other Christians, other the people of God, allow them to correct your vision, and they allow you to correct theirs, you're walking around blind. Blind. You say, well, I don't see it that way. Well, of course you don't, because you can't. Second kind of person, though, is probably more at risk than the first, and that's not an outsider. It's actually a spiritual insider. Almost every commentator I read as I studied this said Jesus is primarily critiquing and condemning the behavior of the Pharisees here. And who were they? Oh, they were religious leaders, people who knew the Bible the best. And Jesus is showing us here that the tendency then of faith leaders like me is to use their knowledge and position as weapons against their own people. And that they walk around blind to how they come across to others. Now, I would say, I don't, I don't see it that way. <laughs> Jesus would say, of course you don't, because you can't. A third kind of person who may be even in more trouble than the first two, and that's a person who's sort of a combination of those other kind of folks. You're a person maybe who used to be deeply involved in a spiritual community, but you've sort of moved to the fringes. Used to be in the front. Now you've moved somewhere else. I love you people in the back row. You're my favorite people. I don't know why you're there. I'm sure all for very good reasons, but I'm not talking about positionally. I'm talking about in your own heart. You've allowed some sort of pain or hurt or combination Maybe even your own temperament and wiring to become predominant over the word of God. And you take your knowledge, take your experience, take your information, set yourself up as a judge. You say, if I don't do it like this, I'm out. You say, well, I don't see it like that, Morgan. Of course you don't, because you can't. So what kind of heart posture do we need to be able to see clearly and do community authentically so we don't run around like kids ramming into each other with two-by-fours all the time? To do that, let's look at the second metaphor Jesus gives us in the passage. It's number two. Not the plank, but the pig. That's in verse six. It's actually a tiny little one-verse parable Jesus gives us, and it goes like this. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right. So the image here is of animals being fed by a master or by an owner. The master uh, has a dog he's feeding from his table, or there's an owner who's taking care of a pig that he owns. But what does this dumb and stupid master or owner do? It's not just that he feeds them something inedible, which is bad enough, but that he gives them something whose value they have no ability to recognize. That's why he's dumb and stupid. Because what's being thrown to the dog? What's being thrown at the pig? It's a pearl. Now, this is something. Because in Jesus' day, the pearl was the most valuable jewel. It's the jewel mentioned the most often in the New Testament. And most importantly, it's the very jewel Jesus uses in another parable to describe himself. 
to talk about his gospel, to describe his kingdom. He says, my kingdom, I am like a pearl. A man or a woman discovers, and then they sell everything to get it. The pearl there is the pearl here. The pearl in the parable is the pearl of great price. It's Jesus and his gospel. And here's what this means, therefore, and how it shows us the heart we need to make relationships work. When a pig comes to something in front of it, how does a pig always evaluate what's in front of it? A pig always evaluates what's in front of it based on whether or not that thing can satisfy its appetite. And in the same way, when a piggish person, when a dog-like person comes to the pearl, comes to the gospel and hears that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the son of God come in the flesh that Jesus lived lived a sinless life on their behalf took the just wrath of God on their behalf for their corrupt heart and he's promised to provide healing for their broken heart and broken life and that he requires all those who hear him to repent and obey him the piggish person asks well, I've got this really great boyfriend. Will Jesus ask me to break up with him? The dog-like person hears the gospel and asks, man, I've got this great career. I really want to make a lot of money. Will Jesus help me get ahead in life? See, the piggish person can only see the gospel, only think of Jesus, only think of his kingdom being a part of a local church as something that can fill their belly, their appetite, and make them feel good now. They hear Jesus loves me. They think, that's nice. Will he get me what I want? You hear preached, be a contributing part of a local church. Say, God, I would, but my league's on Sundays. Make disciples. God, it would make me prioritize someone else. If we only come to Jesus' table, to the master's table, and ask, what can he do for me? What can this church do for me? What can my relationships here do for me? We're no different than a dog or a pig. You say, man, I just got insulted in church today. No, you got insulted 2,000 years ago. You're just finding out about it today. All right. But this is actually even worse than you think. Because Jesus is also saying to churches, to Christians, sometimes... The reason that people in the surrounding culture can't hear the gospel is because of the way you handle it. Because look at what this person is doing here, this owner. They're not really trying to take care of the pig or the dog, right? One is giving the dog something, giving a dog what's sacred. It's a word that means like to present or to show off, like you give a presentation. Jesus is saying, don't just show off my gospel. Don't just give a presentation on it like you know the truth, but too bad you don't. The other person is doing what with the pig? He's throwing a pearl at it. Not caring for it. Not loving it, right? Jesus is saying, don't just throw the gospel at people. Like you throw a, a something for, at the pig in the trough. Otherwise, what? They make it mad. Come after you. Now, this isn't always to say that the reason someone rejects the gospel is your fault or mine. Thank God, right? But what he is saying is you and I, we have to actually care for the people. Care for the people we're bringing God's word to, whether Christian or non-Christian. You have to be able to discern what they can take in and digest. You have to go, hear this, 
at the pace of God in their life. Did you know God has a pace for every person's life, a pace for your life? That's good news. When I became a Christian at the age of 19, I had this radical encounter with Jesus. It profoundly changed me to say I'd been born again. It was an understatement. Uh, I was free to these addictions I'd had. The Bible came alive to me. All my relationships changed. Had a whole new grid and filter internal power to see God's word, to live out my faith. What had happened? Oh, I'd heard the gospel, right? I had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And I surrendered my will to Jesus, repented of my sin. My life changed forever. But for the next couple of years, as amazing as that was, I could also be a real jerk about my faith. I looked down on the church I grew up in. Uh, I thought, man, I spent how long in that church and I never got saved? What's wrong with them, right? Uh, Why didn't they ever preach the gospel there? But a few years later, I went back and visited that same church, same people singing the same songs. Uh, But it was like everything was different. I noticed that the, the, the pastor, the minister, he used the word gospel. Now, I thought, wait a minute, that's gotta be new. But then I look around and no one flinched. Almost like they'd heard it before because they had. And then we sang a hymn I'd grown up singing at least 100,000 times. Uh, What are these words? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Where did this new song come from? Is this new? No. It's like 150 years old. The hymn wasn't new. I was. I was. See, God has a pace each person's life. C.S. Lewis's classic fairy tale, The Horse and His Boy. There's a great little scene that illustrates this. There's these two main characters, a boy and a girl, Shasta and Erebus. And throughout the book, if you've read it, you know that there's these various lions that chase the characters. Uh, at one point, they see the lion seemingly chases them into danger. Another point, it feels like the lion is hunting them. And then one lion actually scratches Erebus, and she's unable to go on in her journey towards home. And the children find out, in the end, there's been only, of course, one a lion guiding them the whole time. It's Aslan, the Christ figure. He's been guarding them, been guiding them the whole time. But then the boy, Shasta, he speaks up and he asks Aslan, why did you scratch and wound her and not me? And Aslan says in response, he says, child, said the voice, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Now, I want you to think right now of someone, of a relationship you're having a hard time with. Let that person just materialize in front of your eyes, face, and think that person has a story of their own. Aslan is moving in that life, guiding them on a journey. How could you help that person on their journey? I bet it wouldn't be by getting angrier with them. I bet it wouldn't be by becoming more frustrated. I'm pretty sure I've never heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you should probably get more frustrated with your wife and kids. That'll go well for you. That'll help them. No. Do you know what will help them? What'll help them receive? It's by becoming what my friend Greg Mitchell said. He said, you need to become a better person for them to react off of. In your relationships, if you'll become a different person for them to react off of, they'll react differently. In other words, if you take the log out of your own eye, the speck will come out of theirs. How then can we get all of this 
Number three, through the pearl, by receiving it. Now, when I was studying and preparing for this, I ran into two problems in this passage, and maybe you kind of felt a couple of them here. First, I was discouraged, actually, when I read the Bible, because I was going through here and thinking, man, relationships are hard. They're hard work. Authentic relationships are tough. It's tough to know who's wrong and who sees what and, and what's going on. It's hard to know how to make it forward in a relationship, isn't it, with someone who just sees things totally different than you do. Uh, I've got friends, and I, you probably do too. I hope you've got friends. People that I love that just see stuff differently. And it's tough to know how to move forward, right? They, sometimes they draw some really strong lines in the sand, maybe even on Facebook, and you get discouraged. I was discouraged by this passage, and maybe some of you have been too. But second, I wasn't just discouraged by the content, I was confused by the context, and here's what I mean, because uh, when you're going through and you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's, and you read it slowly, it's brilliant. Oh, it's so brilliant. Uh, there's definite sections to it. There's these clear transitions every time Jesus brings something new in, except here, in this passage. What do I mean? Well, again, this passage is on relationships, and it's not quite done even after what we've gone through because a few verses later, there's a closing statement, classic transition. It's verse 12, known as the golden rule, right? We all know it. In everything, Jesus says, do to others what you had them do for you. This sums up the law and the prophets. So that's at the end of the section, but after that stuff about the pig and the pearl, he throws something totally new and off the wall, verses 7 and 8. He goes into this stuff after the pig and the pearl. He says, well, ask. It'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives, seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. What's this stuff? What's this part about prayer doing in here? After the plank and the pig stuff, is Jesus just, you know, switching gears to throw you off out of nowhere? You know, relationships, prayer, relationships. I was confused. Until it hit me. Jesus is teaching on prayer here, not at random, but at the exact place we need it most. At the moment of our relational discouragement in our lives. I mean, right when it can't get more discouraging, right when you're asking, oh, can't we just all get along? Right when you're asking, how in the world can we make it forward together? He answers you. He says, you must pray. You must pray. You must pray for great relationships. Pray for authentic community. Pray. If you're a member of this church, you must pray. You must pray for your church. Pray for your fellow members. Pray for me. God, I need it. You already knew that. Pray for others to allow them to get close to you. See, authentic community. It isn't programmatic and mechanical. It's organic and spiritual. And if you will pray for this kind of community, Jesus is saying, if you'll keep believing and you'll not grow weary with it, ask and keep on asking. Oh, see, keep knocking. If you'll knock on every door, authentic community will happen. If you'll not quit on relationships and if you'll seek the good of others, you and I, we can get what we've always dreamed of, what the world is looking for, the kind of authentic community that can't just be found anywhere. See, doing multicultural church difficult. It looks shiny and pretty. If you're new here, you think, man, it's so nice. Look at all the people, right? It is. In the same way, man, a new car is nice and shiny and pretty, right? Got some chrome there, the spoiler, the mufflers all working nice together, but underneath the hood, 
There's some grit and some grime. And to make it go, you're literally going to have to get underneath the hood and get your hands dirty. See, you don't discover authentic community in real relationships. You create them. You create them. That's what he's teaching us here. And therefore, if you don't come into this church every time re-upping the ante, like you would with a hand of cards every time, here's my ante, here's my ante over and over again. If you're unwilling to recreate it, you'll destroy the very thing you're looking for. Man, you're playing a pot with nothing invested. How though? How can we get this in the end? Well, here it is. Jesus doesn't just say pray. He says, ask and what? It, 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 it will be given. What's the it? What will be given? What's the one thing he's pointing us to? Well, what's the last thing he mentioned? What's the it? Oh, it's the pearl. Ask, ask and what? The pearl will be given to you. The pearl of great price. We must ask for it, for the pearl, for Jesus to be shown to us over and over again in love. Say, how was that? Like this. See, Jesus, God's ultimate treasure and jewel. He left his riches behind. He came to earth, but he was trampled underfoot by us pigs and dogs, us unclean animals who were unable in our natural state to recognize his worth. We tore him to pieces. Though he came in perfect truth and perfect love. He gave everything to get us, that we betrayed and crucified him. And when you see that, your true condition lost with Adam, when you remember your true condition lost with Adam, when you go to him and say, oh, Jesus, you're my pearl. You are the most valuable thing to me, not my reputation, not being understood, not having stuff, not having rights. Oh, because all those things come and go. But if you say, I have you, and therefore I have heaven's riches, the pearl, the jewel of eternity. Now, with that in your heart, you can go to your brother and sister and love and humility and risk. If you're having a, a relational crisis today, ask for it, for the pearl, the value of that pearl to fill your heart. Knock and the door to that pearl will be open. Pray and allow the infinite value of Jesus to fill your own heart first. And then you can move out And then in all things, you can do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Let me apply this in three ways quickly. First of all, when was the last time you allowed someone to get close enough to you to pull something out of your eye? Second, is Jesus, is his gospel, is this church, is something you look to meet your needs? Or is the gospel something that is bigger than you, greater than you, that fills you to meet other people's needs? And third, when you see the pearl, here's what you should know. That God is for us in our relationships. He's for us. He wants this thing called authentic community so much. Now, could you imagine if we all did this? Could you imagine the kind of community we could have together? Oh, the nations would come. Oh, God, may that be ours in Jesus' name.